know we should eat healthier, exercise, etc. But how do we actually turn that goal into a healthy habit? Tune in for some neuroscience-based suggestions, only here on the People's Scientist Podcast. Listening to the People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on neuroscience, physiology, and nutrition. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, my People Scientist Army, and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast for episode 87, where every week I arm us with some scientific evidence so we can all lead the healthy lives we want to live. Happy New Year, my People Scientist Army, and how are you doing? I hope that you are doing well and starting off the year feeling optimistic and motivated. I took two weeks off from the podcast in order to reset and recharge and it was such a great and much-needed break. It's interesting how sometimes when we remove ourselves from a situation, like me taking a break from the lab and the podcast, that it can give us so much perspective. And that little break I took made me feel more appreciative, and I'm trying to remember that these small stressful things that bog us down every day are not that important. So as the new year begins, many of us are wanting to start new habits perhaps break some old habits, perhaps improve our sleep, improve our diet or a way of eating, learn a new skill, etc. Many of you listening right now reached out to me for tips and suggestions on how to go about this. I mean, generally speaking, we know we should not eat a donut. Instead, we should eat some fruit or vegetables. But it really is down to how are we going to make that a healthy habit? How are we going to overcome those cravings to the unhealthy side and choose the healthier side. So in today's episode, I'm going to give us some neuroscience-based suggestions on how to do just that. So as we always do, let's start off with some core takeaways. I am a firm believer that if we can learn and understand our brain and body better, that this can be very empowering. For example, we could say, oh, I know I feel this way because my brain is responding to this and I know I can get around this feeling by doing this or that. So in today's episode, this is what I hope to give you. For example, certain brain regions are activated when we form a new habit, whether that habit be bad, like smoking cigarettes or eating junk food every night, or the habit can be good, like brushing our teeth twice daily or going for a walk every evening. The first step in breaking a bad habit is to activate our higher-order brain regions, our logical thinking, planning brain regions. How do we do that? We need to become aware of our habits, our actions to fulfill that habit, and we need to question them. The second step 
we are likely to develop some withdrawal. So if we want to break a habit, we need to, like a habit like smoking a cigarette or cutting out sugar, we need to either prevent the activation of those withdrawal brain regions or replace that addictive, unhealthy component with a healthy, rewarding thing like music, heat, like a hot shower, massage, comedy, exercise, socializing, etc. If your goal is to learn something new, a neuroscience-based tip is to learn it or review the material right before bed or right before a nap, as memory consolidation happens while we sleep. Are you trying to cut down on junk food but still having cravings? Heat, like a hot shower, sour and bitter taste may be ways to help with battling food, junk food cravings. And those are just a few quick examples of what I will be talking about today. So now, let's get into those details. I want to start off the episode by talking about habits. Both bad habits that we want to break and good habits that we want to form. Can we use neuroscience to increase our success of this? Yes, we can. We know that certain brain regions, like portions of our striatum, regulate our ability to form automatic habits. We also know that if we want to break a bad habit, then we have to override those habit brain regions. Luckily, with neuroscience, we know how to do that. Very simply, to override a bad habit, we need to activate our conscious thought and decision-making brain regions. Essentially, what this means is the first step to breaking a bad habit is to be more mindful of our automatic subconscious actions. For example, in fMRI brain imaging studies, when people thought logically and started planning out their actions, brain regions involved in emotion and habit were less recruited. So what this means is we need to be conscious and logically think about the actions we take to fulfill our bad habits. For example, being aware that we crave chocolate in the evening and how that involves us going to the cupboard to grab some chocolate. And it involves us usually sitting on the couch eating the chocolate while watching TV. And typically this is a mindless process. Or for example, that we are aware that we crave a cigarette with our morning coffee. We are aware that the room, the environment, or the time of day may be triggers or reminders of these habits. But mindfulness most often is not enough because we also have to consider our feelings of withdrawal and craving. Now, those can be very powerful feelings that lead us to relapse back to our old habits. So we need to also consider the regions in our brain that are involved in withdrawal and relapse, like the lateral habenula and the interpeduncular nucleus, for example. So step two is to deal with these withdrawal brain regions being activated in order to prevent relapse. We can be willing to feel and accept the withdrawal feelings, for example, This has been referred to as mindfulness-based relapse prevention. This strategy was written by Sarah Bowen and colleagues. She published a clinician's guide to this in a book in 2011. Essentially, this strategy is a meditation strategy that aims to train individuals to be more mindful and conscious of their thoughts, cravings, environment, triggers, as well as their goals. Essentially, to become more comfortable with our feelings of craving and to learn that that is a part of changing and growing, and that we do not need to respond to our feelings of craving by giving in, but rather we can learn to live with them. A second option in dealing with withdrawal symptoms 
is to deal with craving and withdrawal by replacing our old habit with a new, healthful, rewarding behavior, essentially to override those withdrawal brain regions. Now, by rewarding, I mean something that releases dopamine in our brain reward regions. Many unhealthy and healthy things can do this. For example, nicotine, alcohol, sugar are unhealthy examples. But we can replace these with healthy, rewarding things that release dopamine in our brain reward regions, like exercise, dancing, heat, like a hot shower or sauna, music, socializing, a massage, caffeine, etc. Now, this can be quite helpful, as we may temporarily be in a dopamine deficit if we cut out something like sugar, nicotine, or alcohol that we are used to having on a regular basis. And this can lead us to temporarily having a lower mood. This has been quite well documented, actually, in the context of caffeine withdrawal. And I go into detail and provide clinical studies on these examples back in episode 1 and episode 58. A third step to override bad habits is to keep in mind our environment, our triggers, our cues that induce our craving. Our withdrawal brain regions are likely to be activated when we are in the same environment where we do our unhealthy habit. For example, if we eat desserts and junk food in our living room on the couch at 6 p.m. every evening, then being in that room at that time is likely to activate our craving withdrawal brain regions, which could result in us relapsing and going back to our old ways. So how do we get around this? There's two possible ways. Avoid that environment for a while, or change what that environment means to you. Now, avoiding the environment is pretty self-explanatory. Perhaps don't hang out in your living room in the evening for a few days. But let's say you can't avoid that environment. Then okay, perhaps you can change how that environment looks. Now, I know that that might sound silly, but we have seen this in preclinical studies time and time again. So, for example, change the layout of the room. For example, move where your couch is or where it faces. Perhaps change the colors, like add a new blanket or a new paint color. Face a different direction in the room. Add a new scent to the room using a diffuser. Put on music, talk on the phone in the room, or read a book in the room, as opposed to watching TV or eating junk food. In preclinical models, if we change what the environment looks like, the conditioned preference for a drug or sugar declines. So it's very possible that this could work in humans too. Okay, so to briefly recap what I've mentioned already, to break an old habit, being aware and conscious of what we are doing in that habit to override the habitual centers of the brain is the first step. So mindfulness. The second step is to deal with the potential withdrawal symptoms by becoming either comfortable with the feeling of craving or replacing that habit with healthy, rewarding things like music, dance, a hot shower and also avoiding that environment in the cues or triggers. Okay, how about in the opposite scenario, meaning if we want to instill new habits? How can we use neuroscience to do that? Well, we need to activate those habit brain centers strongly. We can do this by making the action rewarding, meaning releasing dopamine in our brain reward regions. You see, anything that releases dopamine in our brain reward regions becomes very reinforcing to us, meaning our brain will push us to crave, look for, and to do that again. So we can either make our new healthy habit intrinsically or extrinsically motivating. You might be thinking, well, Stephanie, what does that mean? 
Well, for example, intrinsic motivation could include you choosing a goal that is important to you. Like, I want to have better mental health. I want to feel less anxious. I want to be happy. I want to be healthy so I can travel and do all the things that I want to do. Now, those are important things that could matter to you. So you need to decide what it is that is essential for you. What is your true goal? And then how you achieve that becomes more specific. For example, in order for me to feel less anxious and to be happy, I need to do 15 minutes of stretching in the sunshine to relaxing music every morning. So you need to find out what is truly important to you first, and then we can create steps on how to achieve that. That is intrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation, on the other hand, is tangible rewards, such as prizes, praise from others, or rewards for yourself if you achieve your goal. Now, while these extrinsic motivators are not necessary to form a habit, they can be helpful for some. So let's say now you have found your goal. Let's say your goal is that you want to have better mental health and you want to feel happy. What are some neuroscience-based ways to instill habits to achieve that? In order to answer that, we have to understand what determines the strength of a habit. Well, in a review by Amaya and Smith published in 2018 in the journal Current Opinion in Behavioral Sciences, they noted that the strength of a habit can be determined by the activity of the brain regions that regulate habitual learning. So one way to further activate these habit brain regions is to add on a new habit to a current habit. For example, if someone wants to learn a new language as their goal, what they could do is attempt to learn five new words every time they brush their teeth in the morning and the evening. Now, they brush their teeth twice a day. That is quite an ingrained habit. So now they're adding a new routine to an old routine. This makes it even easier to attain because their old habit is already so ingrained in their daily life and likely already activates these habit brain regions. How about another example? Let's say your goal is to be healthy and you want to add in more exercise to achieve this. So let's say a current habit of yours is to have a cup of coffee or tea every morning. You can add a new habit to this. For example, choose to walk 10 blocks now to get your coffee or tea instead of getting it right at work. Or when you are brewing your coffee or tea, take 10 minutes to stretch. Another example, let's say you like to be on your phone when you wake up or before you go to bed. How about stretching while being on your phone for 10 minutes? That is one quick way of adding new habits to your already ingrained routine. Another example, if you have a video chat hangout every week with your friends, do some exercises during that. So think about what is already habitual in your daily life and see if you can add some new things to it. Another way to increase the likelihood that a new habit sticks is to add in components that release dopamine in our brain reward regions. Things that are rewarding or release dopamine in our brain reward pathway include caffeine, exercise, music, heat, like a hot shower, a hot bath, socializing with friends, and a massage, for example. So see if you can add in things like this, if possible, while you are trying to instill your habit. Like listening to your favorite song, or funny podcast while exercising. Intrinsic motivation, like I mentioned earlier, is also so important. We need to find out what is truly essential to us and to form our goals around that. 
For example, I want to be happy and I don't want to feel anxious. That is truly important to you. Then once you have that goal in mind, you have to use your planning, goal-directed, and decision-making brain regions first to plan out what your specific actions are going to be. And then over time, those can become automatic habits. In this scenario, specific and actionable goals are best. So don't just say, I need to exercise more. Your goal needs to be specific and actionable. Your goal could be rephrased to say, I want to stretch every morning for 10 minutes when I wake up. And what is going to motivate you is the fact that you want and deserve to be happy. And you know this is one of the potential ways to achieve that. Lally and colleagues in the European Journal of Social Psychology in 2010 investigated habit formation in a clinical trial. The old question of how long does it take to form a new habit? They stated it takes anywhere from 18 to 254 days, with a median of 66 days. So the variation is quite high, but keep in mind that it may take longer than what you might expect to form a new habit, and that's okay is the average is 66 days or just over two months. The authors noted that if the action was simple, it was more likely to result in a strong habit versus a complex action. So for example, if you want to learn a new language, then memorizing five new words of a new language every day while brushing your teeth may be more likely to form as a habit quickly than you choosing to approach it by saying you will learn five verbs, five nouns, five questions, ten statements, in a new language every day. So keeping your goals simple in the beginning may be a good idea, and you can expand from there. If your goal is to learn something new, like to learn a new skill, to learn a new language, perhaps you want to write an exam to become certified in something. One neuroscience-based tip I can give is to review or learn just before taking a nap or sleeping. In episode 61, I go into the scientific details of this. A clinical trial last year in Cell Reports detailed how our brain replays the electrical pattern when we were learning over and over, and this was more powerful during a short nap of 20 to 30 minutes. Memory consolidation happens while we sleep, so this makes sense. So learn, study, or review your stuff quickly right before a nap or sleep. So a brief recap of this part. If you want to create a new healthy habit, keep it simple at first. You could add it on to a current habit, like while making your coffee in the morning. Try adding rewarding things to the task, like music. Find what is intrinsically important to you and form your specific goals around that. And lastly, if trying to learn something new, learn or review the material right before bed. Now, lastly, I want to touch upon our nutrition or diet goals. Now, I have a keen interest in eating behavior and sugar and junk food cravings. In past episodes, like in episode 59, 63, and 81, I gave some scientific evidence and neuroscience-based suggestions. If you want to hear about these specific studies, you can go back and give those episodes a listen. But I will go over those very briefly for you here. So here are some neuroscience-based strategies to reduce junk food or sugar, salty food cravings. Suggestion number one, chewing our food for longer activates our satiety brain regions. 
Many clinical trials have indicated that chewing more per bite can leave us feeling more satisfied and craving food less. So for example, if you are eating a lot of things that do not require chewing, like smoothies and soups, that may potentially leave you feeling less satisfied. So instead, you could add things in like a salad with lots of crunchy vegetables. This is likely to activate the brain region, the nucleus of the solitary tract, to induce feelings of satisfaction and to reduce craving. Suggestion 2. Heat acts on the hypothalamus to reduce its activity. The hypothalamus of our brain controls both our body temperature and our food craving and hunger. In observational studies, hot climates reduce food craving and food intake. So using heat in a healthful manner, like a hot bath, a hot shower, a sauna, spicy food, could potentially help to combat junk food cravings. Suggestion 3. As I mentioned earlier in this episode, avoiding the environment where you normally eat junk food could be very helpful, or changing what that environment means to you. So for for example, if you have a drawer in your office that normally contains candy or junk food, and when you open that drawer, that is a reminder or trigger for you to think or look for junk food, you could instead remove the candy from that drawer and fill it with something else that is enjoyable, like a nice smelling hand lotion quick puzzles to do, funny comics, etc. Change what that drawer means to you. Or change what your room looks like or what it means to you. Or avoid it altogether for a short period of time if possible. Suggestion four, replace junk food with other healthful, rewarding things like music, massage, a hot bath, comedy, talking to friends, exercise, dance, doing art, playing video games. I've talked about that in previous episodes too. Those can potentially be more healthful, rewarding things to replace the rewarding aspect of junk food. Suggestion five, activate our brain regions that tell us we are satisfied and full by eating or drinking sour or bitter things. You see, through evolution, sour and bitter things were associated with either spoiled foods or potentially poisonous things. So these tastes signal to our brain, stop eating. These could be harmful. Have you ever had a really strong coffee, for example? It often increases our gut motility, reduces food cravings or hunger, and can get our intestines moving. The reason why is thought to be because it activates the bitter taste receptors, which signal that we need to remove this from our body as it could be potentially harmful. But in today's food supply, Bitter and sour things are not harmful, as our food supply now contains safe things to consume. But we can trick our brain into feeling satisfied by adding these things to our meals, like lemon juice, apple cider vinegar, black coffee, black tea, arugula, lemon peel zest, etc. Having these things in the absence of sweet or salty things is best, as sweet and salty tell our brain to eat more because sweet and salty indicate carbs or electrolytes respectively, which our body needs. You see, our taste is like the first defense system, either saying yes, eat more, or no, stop eating. So you are craving some sweets, you could try some bitter or sour that is not salty or sweet, like drinking some lemon water, some black tea, or black coffee. Okay, so that is it for today's episode, my People Scientist Army. 
an episode with some neuroscience-based strategies to help us form new healthy habits, to help us learn new skills, to help us break old habits, and to help us eat healthier. Essentially, to allow us to start and lead a healthier new year. In brief, how do we break an old habit? The first step is to be conscious of our actions and ask ourselves, why are we doing this? This conscious thought will help override our habit-forming brain regions. The second step is to deal with the withdrawal and cravings so that we do not relapse. To do this, we can change our cues or environment. We can use mindfulness-based meditation to recognize how we react to our environment in order to become more comfortable with these withdrawal feelings. And lastly, we could add healthy, rewarding things like music, a hot shower, comedy, video games, dance, socializing, etc. to our routine in order to override that withdrawal response. Are we trying to reduce junk food intake? We could try chewing our food more per bite. We could try using heat like a comfortable hot bath. We could replace with healthy, rewarding things. We could avoid the environment or change what the environment means to us. We could try some sour or bitter-tasting things like black tea, black coffee, lemon juice and water, etc. Are you trying to generate a new habit? A few steps to do that to help you be successful in generating a new habit is to keep it simple to find out what is intrinsically important and motivating to you, and to create some actionable goals around that. To add a new habit to an already existing habit, and to add some rewarding things to that habit, like listening to your favorite music or listening to a funny comedy podcast while doing that new routine. If we are trying to learn something new, try learning or reviewing the material right before bed or right before a nap to instill better memory consolidation. So I hope this information was useful and informative for all of you. These are some strategies that I personally use for myself, and I hope that they will be of benefit for you too. If you want to see some of the studies I mentioned in this episode, then make sure to follow me on social media. I try to post some of the papers there with little extra tidbits of information throughout the week. And I will have my handles in the description box to this episode. If you like the content that I put out every week and want to say thank you for the episodes, you are now able to buy me a coffee via Venmo or Patreon. I have the links in the description box to this episode as well, and I thank you so much in advance for that. So I hope you all have a wonderful and an awesome week, and I look forward to meeting you back here for another episode on the People Scientist podcast. See you all next week. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates. Thank you.